What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark Stay. And today's show is brought to you by our wonderful Bestseller Academates and patrons over on Patreon. Without these good people, we simply could not keep the podcast going. So if you want to support the podcast, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. You'll discover all of the good stuff we've got over on Patreon, hundreds of hours of extra goodies for you there. And also the Academy, check out the Academy, academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. You can pop in, have a nose round, look at what it's all about. But Mr. D, the doors are opening soon, aren't they? Tell the folk, good folk yeah, about that. They absolutely are. So we're coming up to the beginning of the academic year. It's when everyone's thinking about, Ooh, ooh what shall I be doing with my time? And, and kids are going back to school. Uh, and it's, you know, it's about investing in yourself. And that's what the Academy is about. It's about you saying, I am worth it. A bit like the hair commercial, I guess. But it's a bit like really <laughs> investing in your writing career or the next level, whatever that is for you, whether you're starting out or whether you're, you know, you're always a successful author. What is that next level that you want to break through? Because we work on mindset. We work on getting your daily writing habits down. We talk about craft from every single angle you can imagine. There's over 30 courses that we do. And probably one of the things people appreciate the most are the uh, weekly check-ins with you, Mark, on the writer surgery, where people can just check, call up and check in with a challenge they've got to keep them going. And then yeah. every two weeks, they get a full, everyone gets a full coaching session one, one, once, once every two weeks from Mark on craft coaching and once every two weeks for me on life coaching for writers specifically. So there's so much. And that, that's even just the that's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it, Mr. Stay, in terms of what people get? The the thing that has blown me away is that we did a survey and people have rated, we asked people to rate the academy in terms of what their experience is. And we've had people there now for two years. Um, 93% rating the academy has got. It's uh, probably one of the highest scores, I guess, an academy for a school has got. So, yeah, absolutely excited to join us. So people should pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. And uh, and it's been it's been such a fun fun journey for us as well, Mark, hasn't it? It's been great. And what's been so satisfying is we're now seeing certainly from that first and second batch of academates, we are seeing them. Their books are getting deals. They're self publishing. That those dreams are finally coming true. Uh, so it it does work, folks. It will get you over the finish line. You know, it's um we're we we've been delighted to see people have done so well off the back of it, and it's um it's been a joy to see that happen. It has absolutely brilliant, and, and we want to just take this opportunity to salute everyone. 
who's who's been in the academy that is in the academy and everything that they've achieved through their hard work because it is also about you know deciding this is the right thing it's the right time for me i want to make this happen i want this to be part of my life legacy i want to even for some people it's just about getting to the end it's about finishing that book it can be one of the biggest achievements you'll ever do in your life so come and join me and mark we would love to be your coaches and we'd love to inspire you on a weekly basis and that's what it's all about but talking about inspiring as well mark i hear Great things have been happening in Germany with the reprint of your book. Yeah, just you know, seconds ago, just before we started recording, I was just checking my emails, and uh, yeah, apparently um, Heiner in Germany, uh, Rebensalber, which is the crow folk in Germany, is reprinting already, and they're really happy with it. So um, that's crazy. Like it only came out. When did it come out? Uh, July, I think, or was it? Oh no, hang on, it might have been June. I've I have no idea of time anymore. That must but be yes. one of the best things as an author to hear. I mean, obviously, Not the really best is. thing is you know we want to sign your book, or you've got a movie deal with your book, or we'd like to sign you for so many more books. But probably very close to all of that must be hearing that a book's been reprinted because that means for anyone that doesn't understand what that means, it means that the initial print run that they've made has sold out. Yeah. or is about yeah. to sell out and they need to fill they need to fill the pipeline with new copies of the book and yeah it's that's the you know the longevity of a book is is often based on the number of print runs that it's had and there's you can always see the print run can't you in the um I'm not see the print run but you can see in your particular um it's on the inside near the copyright yes, there notices, are, there it are, says yes, isn't it the, first yeah. pre-printing or 17th reprinting yeah, there's a, there's little numbers in there. So as you sometimes you hear one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and if the one is missing, that means you've got the second edition. If the two is missing, you've got the third edition. Little clues like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, so if, if anyone didn't that. get hold of the first edition of Mark's book in Germany, it's too late. It's gone, and all those people that have got it now can hold on for it for years. All right. <laughs> Well, the the crow folk has reprinted in the UK as well. It reprinted a little while ago in the UK, and and I think I mentioned this a few podcasts ago. And I know I know that happened because I ordered some, and they all cost a quid extra <laughs> because that's the other thing. Probably they they took some of the specials off and they bunged a quid on it. So uh, you know that's but that's par for the course with with reprints, you know, because yeah. it then moves from being front list into backlist where it can actually make some you know some serious money, long term so, money, um, yeah. Fantastic news. Yeah, That's great. Yeah, and what yeah, else is yeah. happening? What's that, what else yeah. is new in your life? Yeah. Well, that's the good news. The sad news is I'm losing my editor at Simon Schuster. It was oh, announced no. uh, today. Of course, we're we're recording this ahead of time. Uh, Bethan Jones, who uh, has been a fantastic editor uh, for my books at Simon Schuster, she's going off to be uh, an editorial director, head of Zeus. So I'm crying happy tears. So it's a great move for her. But um, so you, we've. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this pans out because, as far as I'm aware, and I don't quote me on this, everyone, but as far as I'm aware, I think they're hiring someone new to replace her because. What, what can sometimes happen is if an editor leaves, they might not replace them. And then what they do with their authors is they go, okay, you have some of them, you have some of them. And that can be quite you know, a tricky situation for the poor editor who gets lumbered with you. And the author who suddenly has an editor that you know we've spoken time and again, it's something we talk about today in our interview, that close relationship with, uh, with the editor and how important that is. So I'm sad to see Beth and Jones go. She's been an amazing champion, but I, I understand – and I've been around the industry long enough to realise that this is a, a, an absolutely brilliant move for her. So, you know, you roll with the punches. God, I was going to say that with editors as well, um, it's an interesting one. We can discuss this kind of later on. But um, 
obviously when when you're with a major publisher it can be one of the challenges is that your editor a really good editor of naturally sometimes does move on and upwards onwards and upwards whereas um hiring an editor as an indie author there's less chance of that happening although there's no guarantees they're not going to get too busy yeah. so it's all horses for courses isn't it yeah no it is it is uh, there is that that kind of um I mean, I do know traditionally published authors who have moved publisher to be with their editor again. That wow. does happen. That's fascinating. Because uh, that is such an important relationship. But look, this is all, this is all a, a way, a segue into yes. talking about our live show uh, because we've got uh, coming on uh, the 31st of August, so not long now, folks, Wednesday, 31st of August, 2022, 6.30 p.m. BST UK time. We're going to be at Waterstones Canterbury with our live show. We're going to have some amazing guests, Rowan Coleman, Penilla Hughes, and Dean Matheson, Julie Wasmer. And we're going to be talking about, is it writing a job for life? In these uncertain times, can an author really earn a living from just their writing? And we're going to talk about the longevity of being a writer, because these brickbats that come at us, you know, authors leaving, editors leaving, things changing, you know, so we've got a couple of authors, Rowan and Julie, who've been doing this for a while. And then we've got Penilla and Dean, who are fairly new. They're two or three books under their belts, you know, talking about their sharing their experiences. But it's also it's going to be a celebration of 400 episodes of the Bestseller Experiment podcast. There's going to be wine, cake. You can meet the authors. You can get your book signed. Lots of surprises. We may be adding some people to the lineup as well. So keep an eye out on social media for that too. I've got links in the show notes if you want to get tickets for that. It's £5 a ticket, but it's redeemable on the night. So if you buy a book, you get £5 off the book and you get cake and wine and all that other stuff. So basically, you know, it's, yeah. it's a great deal. Uh, student tickets are for free as well. Also, 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 if you can't make it, Join us online. We're going to be streaming this live online, and hopefully, we're going to be beaming Mr. Dean uh, like some, you know, giant hologram uh, Orwellian, uh, you know, Big Brother face looming over us at some point. We're still working out the details. I hope, so. I hope the plan isn't beaming me in like Scotty because I've seen far too many Star Trek episodes to see how that <laughs> pans <gone> out. <laughs> exactly. But I think I think for people now, if you're one of these people that listens to podcasts and you hear of these kind of great events, you think, yeah, I want to go to that. I want to do. I want to go online, or I want to. I want to show up in person. I've got a tip for you because if you're anything like me, I always forget when the date is. So what we've done is we've, we've created this amazing tool and I want to take you through it very quickly. Step one, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast right now, get your phone, get your phone open, open a browser and type in bestsellerexperiment.com. Right, whack that in. You've done that? Okay. Yeah. Bestsellerexperiment.com. Okay. Now, if you go to the top of the page, you'll see there's a newsletter tab. Click on that newsletter tab and put your email address in and we will email you more details about the show and we'll also email you a reminder about an hour to 30 minutes before it starts as well guaranteed we you will not forget so go along to the bestsellerexperiment.com website click on the newsletter tab because we would love this to be one of the biggest live shows we've ever done and we can't wait to see you in person or online and remember folks you know this is an interactive thing you can come and say hello tell us about how the bestseller experiment has uh, changed your life maybe uh, an author that's had come on the show that's changed your life whatever it might be and ask us questions as well and all of our amazing guests who are going to be uh, coming along as well some incredible authors there Brilliant stuff, Mr. State. Can't wait for that. Um, so talking about brilliant, gonna be fun. Gonna be fun. On top of on top of the live show, we've also got an amazing interview this week, haven't we? So tell us, Mark, about yes. the incredible Alyssa Suave. 
I, this was such a fun interview. Alyssa Suave is the author of Ginger and Me. Uh, she's the winner of the inaugural Prima Donna Prize, which is awarded to unpublished and unrepresented writers. Uh, it's a debut novel. It's part coming of age, part mystery. It's really exceptional stuff. It's, it's great on character. We talk about character a lot. What we discuss, we discuss what Alyssa learned writing for theatre, what surprised her most about the publishing process, and the role that Tunnock's wafer biscuits played in the story. Oh, yes. Get your cup of tea ready, folks. <laughs> I think something's going to be kicking off from this. All right, so everyone, have, a, have an amazing time listening to Mark chatting with the lovely Alyssa Suave. Alyssa Suave, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's a pleasure, a genuine pleasure. And uh, we're, your your debut novel, Ginger and Me, which is the winner of the inaugural Prima Donna Prize, is is out now, and uh, it's got what? First of all, that cover, that cover is absolutely gorgeous, bright orange. I think it's the the the, the color of the summer. Um, but tell us about tell us about Ginger and Me. Um, Ginger and Me tells the story of two young girls, Wendy, who's nineteen and a bus driver. Uh, she's also an aspiring writer, uh, and Ginger, um, who's 15. So it's it's partly a coming-of-age tale. Uh, so Ginger is Wendy's birth, uh, first best friend. Uh, she just appears on the bus one day, and, and they, they make friends. So we see them doing, you know, all sorts of things that best friends do. So they, they learn to put on makeup together, they go for nights out, um, they go for days at the seaside. Um, and it's partly a, a mystery so when the novel opens, Wendy is in prison. Mm. So right away, you know, we're thinking, oh, gosh, what, what's happened here? Um, how, how has she got here? And the this, this story then looks back to sort of tell us, what, how, you know, how, how that's happened. Um, but there's also quite a bit of a mystery surrounding Ginger and her, her home life. Um, and as we find out as the book goes on, her, her home life is very, very difficult and very complicated. That you mentioned uh, putting on makeup and stuff like that is a bit very early on as well, where you discover that Wendy has let Ginger cut her fringe. That's a very trusting relationship. It's, it's a sort of typical of a teenage girl, isn't it? That kind of intense friendships that you have at that age. What what inspired that? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, for Wendy, though, we, we discover very early on in the novel that Wendy doesn't see the world quite the same as everybody else does. So. <laughs> She, she takes everything literally. Um, she can't she can't sort of pick up social cues the same way you and I might. Um, so, for example, there's a scene in the novel where um, somebody in the writers group that she's a member of um, has had their hair cut, and it's dreadful. And you know, you and I might say, "Oh, oh, oh, oh well, you know, it's it's, it's fine. It's, it's your face or whatever." But Wendy goes, "Oh my God, you know, <laughs> what have you done?" So you know, for her, it's, it's friendship's difficult for her. So I think the friendship that he has with uh, Ginger, it's, I, I mean, I think it's really enriching for both of them, certainly initially. And they do, like you say, they have a very, very strong bond. And I think it's all, it's all great for Wendy. It's all totally new. Mm-hmm. Where, do they, where do these characters come from initially? Is there a little spark that you think of, okay, there's, there's something there and it accretes over time? Or do the characters kind of arrive fully formed are they based on people you know because they feel so vivid and real on the page 
Oh, thank, thanks for saying that. They're, they're certainly vivid to me. I absolutely love Wendy and Ginger. I, I just love them. In fact, it was difficult to stop writing the book. I don't know if you, you find that, you know, it's difficult yeah, yeah, to stop yeah. writing because you've got to say goodbye to them then at that point, haven't you, more or less? Um, Wendy, Wendy in particular is somebody that's been with me for a long time. And I, I sort of find it quite difficult to, to, to think about where she came from. But I think... You know, expecting to be be asked this question, I have thought about it. And I think she's really an amalgam of women that I've met um, over time at various toddlers groups that I've taken my children. Um, I used to go to the View Park Toddlers Group, um, which is the area where Wendy and Ginger both come from. And I was really quite taken with these women. They're much younger than me. And I think, can I say faced more difficult lives than me. Um, so they were very resilient, very optimistic, often, you know, in the face of, I, I think, quite severe financial hardship. Although I don't, you know, they would never say that, but that, that was my impression. And I really wanted, I wanted Wendy and Ginger to have these same traits that I found so attractive because I wanted readers to, you know, to, to like them and to sort of, really root for them even though even though they do naughty things you know I wanted readers to think well oh, these are these are characters I could really get behind mm-hmm. no it's fantastic stuff really really good stuff and you're also writing about writers groups now writers who've been to writers groups will know that not all writers groups are created equal some of them are marvelous some of them are full of people who might be a bit bitter about the world around them and um so do you worry that someone a writer's group that you've been to might be reading this going that's me <laughs> i absolutely loved my writer's group um I, i'm not i'm not a member of it anymore purely because over lockdown i stopped going and i didn't go back um but i loved my writer's group but it's interesting because another journalist has said to me or pointed out that you know as well as being a book about friendship and community it's a book about writing mm. and i thought i I wasn't really intentionally meaning that to be the case, but actually I think it's true. So when you when you do look into the writers group, you know, you do get people's views on, um, you know, all this business of show, don't tell and all this kind of thing. Um, so I, I do, I think, I think there is quite a bit about writing and the writer's process and even the publishing world as well features, um, I think more through the character of Diane than from, from Wendy's perspective. So I think maybe aspiring writers might like that that side of it. Yes. Do do quickly explain who Diane is, because this is another terrific character. Tell us about Diane. So Wendy, as we've said, she's an aspiring writer. She joins this writers group and um, she becomes aware of a local writer called Diane. Diane's a really quite a successful Mm. writer. Um, But Wendy, in her sort of um, naive way, following her on Twitter and being followed back by her on Twitter, she she thinks this means they have a, a relationship that, you know, they just don't have. Yeah. But we, the reader, can see that, but Wendy doesn't realise that. Um, so she becomes really quite obsessed with Diane. And Diane, Diane, I think, is a really good person because I think she can tell that Wendy is, you know, slightly different, operates slightly different to the way the rest of us operate. So Wendy, I think, to a great extent, you know, tolerates this and, and does her best, really, with Wendy. That's it's wonderful stuff. I, I can hear listeners now going, yeah, I have to read this, I have to read this, because this is all feel very familiar. Now, I want to talk about a 
genius bit of marketing because the book mentions the Tunnock's Factory. Now, to people outside the UK, the Tunnock's Factory is a landmark as treasured as Edinburgh Castle. Uh, you, in a fantastic move, at one event, you at least one event, you offered a free Tunnock's wafer biscuit, which is one of the greatest creations in mankind when you pre-order a copy of Ginger and Me. Brilliant. Did it work? What inspired it? Tell us all about that. Yeah, well, it's right that Tunnock's uh, features well in the novel because it's set in Uddingston and Tunnock's is an Uddingston um, mm. institution. Um, and not only does it feature in the novel, Tunnock's is actually on the front cover of the novel. If you look carefully, you can see Tunnock's. Um, <laughs> and I, mean, Tunnock, I, I love Tunnock's. Who doesn't love a Tunnock's? And funnily enough, when I talk about my novel on Twitter, the most engagement I get <laughs> is if I mention Tunnock's because Wendy loves Tunnock's. Her mum loved Tunnock's. Mm. Um, and and the, the event that you're talking about was like a local fete that we had at the weekend there a couple right. of weekends ago. And uh, yes, I did offer, <laughs> no shame, I offered tunics, uh, tea cakes and uh, caramel wafers. And actually, since then, a woman from Tunnocks has been in touch with me um, to say, could they have a copy of the book? And um, what, what a great, what a great company it is. Honestly, this is not. I'm, I'm not sponsored by Tunnocks, but it's a great company. But I agree. Went, if they want to send me a box, I agree. In, <laughs> as I went to hand in the proofs the other day, I'm standing there, and a tourist comes up to take pictures. Wants me in the picture, right? Even though I'm nothing to do with Tunnocks. And as he leaves, the woman from Tunnock's hands over a box of caramel wafers just because that's what they do for the, t- the tourists. I mean, they're just such a great company. This is the greatest company in the world. Oh, this is fantastic. Well, that it's great. I think it's a wonderful idea. And I I mean, I get chocolates made up of with the cover of my book on. And the way to a bookseller's heart is with a bar of chocolate. So, uh, you know, that's all. And they work very, very hard. Uh, librarians too, you know. So, you know, get, 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 give them the little little snacks to get them through the day. Right. But, but actually, on a, on a serious note about tonics, Wendy, um, it, Wendy, you know, she's looking for a sense of community. She, do, she doesn't have that. Yeah. And one of the things that she does is she goes into tonics. Now, this is true of the tonics that we have in Uddingston. I get. I don't know if it's the kind of place that Uddingston is, but every, everybody knows everybody, everybody chit chats. And if you go into Tunnock's, the, the women who serve you will say, and how are you? And how's your mum? And how's your day? You know, and Wendy really loves that in the book. Fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Now, listen, let's go back to where it all started. I want, I want to sort of bring the reader from where it all began right up to the publication of, of Ginger and Me. Um, so where did it start for you? Were you always writing as a child or was it something that you came late to? Where what, where did your writing journey start? Um, well, I think probably a lot of writers, I was always going to be a writer, always going to be a writer, but didn't actually do any writing. <laughs> Very familiar, yes. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, there's parts about it that are attractive, but actually sitting down doing the writing, that's hard. So I didn't really do any writing at all. Um, I, I, I mean, I wrote terrible poetry in my, my 20s, same as everybody does, terrible, terrible poetry. Um, but then nothing for years and years and years because, you know, I had a career and I had my children. And when my youngest son went to school, I I really just thought, right, look, Elisa, it's now or never. Either you, you, you know, you start to write something, or you know, you just have to say you're never going to do it. So I started writing short stories, and you mentioned the short plays with the the short attention span theatre group, um, and I just came across the the, the prima donna competition, sent five hundred words. I thought five hundred words, MD can MD can do that surely, um, and to my great. 
astonishment, I found myself on the long list. Um, And so from there, uh, I had sent in an extract, 5,000 words, which I did. Um, I found myself on the short list, again, to my astonishment. And then I won. So (laughs) (laughs) really, really was astonished. Okay, let's let's rewind a little bit because there's a lot going on there. So you're writing you're writing uh, seriously. How many how many novels did you write? Are there novels sort of in the trunk that you finished and felt unhappy with, or is this your first completed novel? How did how how did that? No, work? I've I've actually written two novels um, before Ginger and Me. The first one, um, I, I don't know if this is just me and all writers think this, I just thought it was fantastic. I mean, I just thought this novel was, th- this is going to set the world on yep. fire. And uh, I, now when I look back at it, I think, <laughs> I mean, it's it's just awful. I mean, it's it will never see the light of day. <laughs> but, I, you know, what it did do for me, it, I, I, you know, I, up until then, I'd only written short stories and I thought I could, probably couldn't write any more than a couple of thousand words. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing if you if you once you do get an idea once you sort of start if you if you go with it it's amazing how you can keep going and before you know you know you do find that you have written a novel in my case not a very good one but it did make me realize right okay i've done it that was rubbish but let's have another go brilliant so i wrote another rubbish one (laughs) Um, (laughs) then i wrote ginger and me which is you know hopefully not so rubbish that's a that's a pretty good strike rate all the same. I, I'm not going to tell you how many I wrote before I got something that was even half decent. But uh, the other thing we have in common is you wrote uh, plays for a theatre company, which I found really helpful because you know if something's working because the audience is right there and, and you have actors interrogating the script all the time. And uh, So what was your experience uh, writing for the stage and what sort of stuff did you learn from that that you took on in your in your writing? Um, I think I think you're right that when somebody starts to say the words out loud, things that you thought were hilarious, you think that's <laughs> so unfunny, and that's that's the like you know actors doing it and you know doing it so much better than you you ever would. Um, but I, I also think it makes you hone your dialogue because once you once you hear once you hear it spoken aloud, you can really see what's working and, and what isn't. Um, and, and for me, it, it was just really great to get some sort of audience reaction. Mm. So I was sitting in the, the, of course I had to be there. So I was yes. sitting in the audience both times when it was when it was shown. Um, and just to hear the laughs, you know, that was fantastic for me. I thought, oh, right. So, so it is quite funny then. Some, you know, people are finding it funny. And I think just as a confidence boost really you know to 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 know well actually people people did seem to enjoy that mm. you know a lot of it obviously was to do with the actors and how how i mean did you find this you know when you when you, you hear actors saying your words you just think that's bloody brilliant it's, it's actually not your words it's, it's the actors are making it sound so fantastic yeah yeah it's kind of did i write that or oh, that was <laughs> That's actually, and it's it's the things that you you had no idea would get a laugh as well, or you just thought uh-huh. maybe you know uh, the things that always surprise you. And the th- of course, the thing with theatre is no two nights are the same. So you know you have your opening night where that works, that works, and that works. And you think okay, that's great, and then the next night it's three different things that work, and those other things kind of maybe even fell a bit flat. So it, it, you sort of learn very very early on: a you can't please everyone. And, you know, once you've written something and put it out there, either giving it to actors or giving it to readers, it's kind of out of your control. It's not yours anymore. And uh-huh. I, th- I think once you kind of you're OK with that, 
um, you become a lot less precious thing, with your writing, you know? The other thing I thought, before I had anything um, to do with the theatre, um, I couldn't really see the point of a director. I thought, what does a director do? <laughs> you, you write it, the actors act it. What, what does the director do? Well, I, I mean, the way that they, the, the whole setup was different, the way they sort of brought people on was different to where I thought it would come on in my mind. I really thought the directors in bo- on both of my um, plays did a phenomenal job mm. and it made me really appreciate behind, what's happening behind the scenes and how, you know, obviously the director must have been saying to these actors, you pause here and you stress here and, and whatever, and it just really, really worked. So great, great respect now for directors. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of like lion tamers. If you just let the actors do their own thing, it's absolute chaos. Yeah. <laughs> so we've managed to offend both directors and actors there. Both uh, directors. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Let's talk about the Prima Donna Prize because it's the inaugural Prima Donna Prize that you've won. Um, but tell us about it. What what was different about it to all the other prizes and what, what, uh, what drew you to it? Um, I think the fact, so so the Prima Donna Prize has been set up by a a group of women who are already phenomenally successful in their own right. So you've got Sandy Toxvig, Catherine Mayer, Kip DeWall. I mean, these are really successful women. And the the only sort of um, motivation for them is to give other women opportunities. And I I think that's, I think just think that's a great thing. And I feel they really have been successful in that because um, the likes of me, um, I know I'm, I'm now friends with all the other girls that were on my shortlist with me. Um, we've all been given, apart from the practical boost of, you know, an agent and a, a publishing deal, which is very important, obviously, but we've all been given a real confidence boost because mm. suddenly these successful women have said to us, Actually, you, your writing's good. You, you, you know, you should give it some time. Give it. Um, it's it's worth pursuing. Yeah. And I don't think it was just me and the shortlist who feel that way. I think, I think a lot of the people who have been involved in any way in prima donna have now gone on and thought, right, writing is a good thing. Um, it, my story's worth telling. I'm, I'm going to tell it. So yeah. I, I think I think it's been a great thing. Yeah, it's it's publishing is. Um... Especially if you're from like a working class background or a non-white background, you know, you kind of think, well, it's a, is it a posh people thing? Am I allowed in? Can I do uh-huh. this? Uh-huh. And if someone taps you on the shoulder and says, no, come on, come in. It's not that scary. You know, it's, exactly. uh, it's um, I, I saw a lovely tweet from me the other day where you said, I've purchased a floaty dress. Am I am I an author now? <laughs> Which is absolutely brilliant because we have these preconceptions of what publishing is about and it's all you know wine and champagne moments and stuff which does happen it does happen you know uh and floaty dresses no well uh well hang in there hang in there um i don't actually own a floaty dress yet that's an ambition of mine but uh you know coming into publishing like this what have been the big surprises the big shocks uh one of the things a lot of people tell us is how slow it can be you know what's uh, what have been the big surprises for you biggest surprise for me is just how much of a team effort it is so when you're when you're writing um of course it's very solitary um you know there's the writers groups and whatever but in in general when you're you know writing 80,000 words it's a very solitary um thing um but once you get a publishing deal 
all of a sudden, there's all these people who are just as interested in your characters as you are. Mm. And the the sort of the, the editing stage in particular, I just thought that was amazing. I could not believe how much um, my editor, if I'd had two editors in the end, um, how just what an impact they had on the book and how much they really helped me to improve the writing. And I think I, it's a bit like with um, directors, you know, editors are behind the scenes and sometimes it's quite hard to think, what what actually is it? What, you know, I think I think people who don't are not involved in publishing might think, well, what actually is it they're doing? You wrote it. Mm. Say, well, yeah, but <laughs> the editor does have a very, very big impact. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel as though, I mean, I don't know how MDLs can, what MDLs thinks of the editing experience, but for me, it was entirely positive. I, I, I had at no point felt as though the story was being taken away from me. I felt as though all the input was to make my story better, to make the characters yeah. real, to make to improve it. You know, I, I really had a very positive experience um, with HQ um, in terms of the editing of the book. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, I think, is quite a surprise because I think, you know, you, you sort of see your book as your baby and, oh, keep your hands off my baby. Actually, once you let go and let other people help you, um, I think it's a, a, it can only improve. Yeah, you've 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 got someone in your corner who it has dedicated a lot of time and attention to it in a way that no other reader probably will, and they will notice things that you you're completely blind to, and you know that. And it's I I love the editorial process and the copy editors too. The copy editors saved my life a million times. So yeah, uh, we salute them all. I'm glad you're saying that because I'm a copy editor in real life. Ah. Brilliant. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Right. What's so what's the secret of being a good copy editor then? Tell us about that. Well, well, people <laughs> hate us generally, don't they? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I my 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 copy editor, Lisa, uh, she's amazing. She does not miss a trick. Uh, you know, she keeps track of phases of the because I write about magic uh-huh. and stuff. She writes the phases of the moon and little things that, you know timelines my my achilles heel is timelines because i'll change one thing and the whole timeline just collapses you know things that people were wearing earlier on that they're not wearing later on and little things like that exactly. um, uh-huh. yeah it's just um it's it's forensic but creative at the same time and i, I was surprised by how because you, you think copy edit oh is it it's grammar and punctuation isn't it kind of thing and it's it's not it's a very creative part of the process as well you you know you 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 discover things in the copy edit that really make a big difference to the final book yeah. uh yeah. you know that you might have been working on for over a year and then suddenly that little piece of the puzzle falls into place and it's like oh it really works now and it's it's magic absolute magic so again we salute copy editors too absolutely <laughs> I even got them. Um, some of my geography was wrong. I had a, a referred to somewhere in Ireland, and it was in the, totally the wrong place, and that was picked up. So you know, it's things. It's things like that. They're just really. But I'd have been so disappointed if the book pub- was published and somebody pointed that out to me. So yeah, I think I just think in general the the publishing process. The, the there's so many people involved who have a fantastic input into your book, and in a way, it's a shame that. I mean, it's not a shame. I'm delighted to have just my name on the front cover. It's fantastic. Um, but I feel as though if the general public knew just how much input other people have, uh, there'd be a lot more respect for people like the editor, the copy editor, you know, the people that are in the background really doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and not getting that much um, it's, uh, it's, respect, I guess. A couple of parts. I think Orion 
because I used to work for Orion, and I suggested this years ago, and was told, now it can't be done, but now they're doing it, <clears throat> uh, which is they they actually have credits in the back. They credit... Oh, sort of, I've seen that in a bit recently, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they credit sort of heads of department and stuff like that, and obviously some people might get missed, but, you you know, it does make you realise just how many people are involved in, in bringing the book, you know, from, from the writer and, and to you. totally... Totally different skills involved as well, you know. So, yeah. um, I think that even between the structural edit and the copy edit, totally different skill set. Mm. So, to be skilled at one thing, fantastic, and then you have someone else who's skilled at something else, and then you've got the marketing key, people who come along, and like you say, um, the cover of Ginger and Me is fantastic. Oh. So, that's another very talented person, yeah. you know. So, I, I think it's just um, you can be lucky, and I feel as I've been very lucky that. Everybody that's involved in the book so far, you know, has just been fantastic. No, it's a, it's an amazing experience. So, what's coming next? What's coming next for me, Lisa? I mean, I'm working on a book at the moment. I'm working on a second novel. Um, it's about four women, uh, middle-aged women like myself, um, who sort of look around and think, "Oh, actually, life." life is not as brilliant as we thought it might be when we were at school. <laughs> you know, it, the, all these various things that we, we, we don't like and we're just having to put up with, and it's about how they deal with that. It's supposed to be funny. I think, well, sounds very relatable as well. <laughs> so I think that's the key. Uh, sounds brilliant. Well, we look forward to that. And uh, folks, uh, Ginger and Me is out there right now. Pick up that beautiful looking book, sit down with a cup of tea and a tonics cake and enjoy it. Uh, Frankly, I can't think of any other way to a better way to enjoy a book. So, uh, Elisa, thank you so much for that and hope to speak to you again soon. Oh, thanks for having me. That was fantastic, Mark. And, you know, Alyssa talked about something which I love to hear. Warm some cockles, warm some cockles. The idea that she's absolutely loving her characters. I mean, how many how many authors do yeah. we hear about who struggle with their characters, who, you know, don't get into their characters, who characters walk off the, you know, the edge of the, the stage and never come back. But you could tell with Alyssa, she has such a passion for these people that she's writing about. And I really think that when you have that passion, that passion has to come then through the characters. So it's as, it's kind of um, addictive, if you like, or as exciting for the reader to, to experience those characters through the words of the author. Yeah. I mean, she's writing about real people. You know, it's it's uh, it's the people on the bus, it's the people you see in the street in the supermarket, that sort of thing. And it's uh, there's a joy when people it's and it's actually really difficult to do because you might think, oh, okay, they're just plucking people from real life and just putting them on the page, but it, there's much more to it than that because you know fiction has to be more interesting than real life. It has to has to have a shape to it. It has to have has to be presented in a way that we can understand it, and then it means something thematically and and has a happy ending, which you know, or or at least some kind of ending or resolution that satisfies us as readers. And when you're doing that with real people who are very twisty, turny, bendy, contradictory kind of things. It's really difficult. You know, if you're writing something in a genre where you've got a hard-boiled detective and the detective has to overcome this, that, and the other to solve a case, that's great. We love that. That's fun. But that is an archetype. But if you're writing about the people that we know and, and love and interact with every day, it's, uh, it, it, you know, you've, it, it can be really, really hard to shape them, put them in that story without warping them, without making them feel, you know, 
like uh, like stereotypes or what have you. So yeah, it's um, I think if you've got a knack for character like that, it's it's a real gift. And if you haven't, it's something you can work on. You know, again, talk about it in the academy. We, it, it's a sort of thing that can be developed. So don't don't feel like uh, it's beyond your grasp at all. It takes a lot of work. And I think Alyssa's work in the theatre has helped you with that as well. Well, yeah, I wanted to talk about that as well because I, I know that's been your background as well. But there was one thing that she said which I loved, which was this idea that you having had experience in the theatre, either as a, as a writer or someone that you know acts on stage, how that helps with dialogue, um, how it helps to hear the words said out loud. And it made me think about you, Mark, how you talk about reading your book aloud to yourself. It's almost the same thing, isn't it? If you can actually... Um, hear but hearing your words from out of somebody else's mouth though is what you get on stage which i think is fascinating yeah it's there's there's a there's um there's a lot to be said for that kind of collaboration and it okay if you're not working in theater how can you do that as a novelist you you know we have beta readers we have other people you may wish to have a reading you might want to get people together and say look i've got this dialogue scene i'm not sure if it's working maybe just get a couple of friends together or actors together to sit down and read it it's worth giving it a go maybe maybe look consider dramatizing it or uh, as for a radio play or or maybe adapting it for a, a short film that you shoot on your iphone you know uh getting it on its feet if you ever have any doubts about that get it on its feet and rehearse it it's interesting she was going what's the point of a director which really made me laugh and it made me uh think of uh, a director i used to work with a guy called roy fleetwood who's sadly no longer with us and uh, he used to direct my plays and he was great because I was a novice writer and he was very good at guiding me in the right direction and there was one play where i didn't work with him and that was my big failure. That was the one that didn't work at all. And, and having someone who can offer guidance, a creative partner. Do you want to hear something really weird as well? Do you want to hear something really, really weird? Because I was listening back to this interview with Alyssa today. It made me think of Roy. My wife has gone to a funeral today of an f- old neighbor of ours. And she's gone to the uh, Randalls Road crematorium in Leatherhead. All right. Uh, well, yeah. And she saw, she saw Roy's little plaque there with his name. Uh, wow. it's just so weird that I was thinking about today. She saw that. She, she sent me a photo with it on spooky. Anyway, you know, mm. that thing of having a creative partner is really important. Now, as novelists, we have the editors. I was talking at the beginning about Beth and my editor, you know, and how important she is to me. I also use uh, Julian Barr for my short stories. You know, his input is so important to me. Beta readers, you know, I'm lucky to have some amazing beta readers, including, you know, Ian Sainsbury, who, you know, I read his, he reads mine. We give each other feedback. That is so invaluable. It's so huge. important to me now. Really, really huge. Well, it also brings us neatly into teams because, um, you know, I know Alyssa talked about the importance of teams and people people forget that, you know, obviously when you when you join a traditional publishing company, you have a you have a uh, you know a ready-made team. It's like a kind of instant team, pop-up team, and you've got all of your all of the people and they just like everyone introduces themselves and you find out who's part of your team. But I think a lot of indie authors listening probably think, well, what my team is me. I'm I do everything, I design the covers, I you know put it on Amazon. But the thing is is that there's this idea of um, a support team around you, regardless of how you're writing and publishing your books. And I think it's essential for everyone to go beyond this idea of thinking writing is as solitary as the actual act of writing itself. The act of 
publishing, promoting, and getting your books out there is a team effort. And that doesn't mean that you have to hire a marketing company to promote your books, but it does mean that you should be engaging with beta readers, that you should be thinking about getting an editor um, on, on, on some level. I mean, there's obviously many different editors that you can you can take on, and there's many different types of editing. But this sense of doing it by yourself is where I think a lot of people fall down because it's it's incredibly hard writing a book by yourself. We all know that, but it's even harder to go beyond that and trying to get the book out there and keep your and get your career going and selling books if you're trying to do that by yourself as well. And I know for a fact that the vast majority of indie authors do that, and that's actually partly why we created the academy, isn't it, Mark? Because it's about having the first team you should be looking at is a community. A yeah. community of people who are just there to keep you going. Because obviously, if you don't have that part of your life, and, and Alyssa talked about her incredible writing group, you know, there's so many different ways of finding those people. Even if it's a writing buddy that you have, your next door neighbor, your best friend, you know, someone who, who's always, you know, both of you have had your bucket list to want to write and finish a book. You know, connecting with some other person to realize that you're not going through this alone is really, really important. And yet, when you come into a writing group, a local writing group that you're with, or say the academy, the bestseller academy, where you've got like loads of people all moving in the same direction, all like-minded individuals. That's when you find your home. And that also is the basis of where you start to build your team. Because, you know, we've seen in the academy, people find beta readers. They're all beta reading for each other. Um, again, it's the same in the, in the BXP team that we have. People like feedback on covers. It's like, You've got to find that community first because that's where you can build the support within it. And um, I know for you, Mark, it's been absolutely essential, hasn't it, to have that that team around you? Oh, completely. Absolutely. It, and the thing is, people maybe don't, if they're just starting out, and there is this romance as well of the solitary author in their garret, that kind of thing, which is such cobblers. Um, you know, we you, you are not alone. And people don't might not know to even ask for help they might think yeah. oh no i'm supposed to suffer aren't i aren't <laughs> i supposed to be in here banging my head against the keyboard well no you you don't have to you you are not alone ask for help help will be help will be given you know and it starts with with those communities or beta readers and if you're wondering where to find them we've got you know we've got some ready made ones for you um but you know you will find authors out there on social media who you know uh share your pain and authors by and large are a jolly nice bunch of people. I well, mean, we like we like we like to moan, but we we you know we like to moan together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but but it, it kind of you know a, a problem um, shared is you know is a problem halved. And, and the thing is, the other thing though is you can find, and this is a bit of a caveat, is that you can find yourself in some writing groups where the kind of energy becomes a bit toxic because you've either mm. got too many you know, strong characters who are real downers and really pull everyone down. So it's not just about joining any community. It's about joining mm. a community of like-minded thinkers, people who maybe dare to dream, you know, which is what we do in the academy. It's like this ability to actually declare what you really want to achieve in a safe space and allow yourself to say those words out loud and for people to cheer you on and celebrate with you that you even just said it, you know, you said it out loud. And so, it's not a. It's it's a bit like dating in some ways. You've got to find your community. You may have been on certain Facebook groups, for example, and some may work for you. Others you may drifted away from. But um, yeah, there there are all kinds of different types of groups as well. And you have to find the one group that reaches 
you know, reaches the parts of your writing world that the others can't. And that's something that you, you have to kind of go on that search in many ways and, and find your home. So I really encourage people to do that. Um, but we, we need to talk about cakes, Mark. I mean, really, oh, we, we, this is an absolutely important subject because tunnocks, right? Oh. People that haven't been to Scotland, Edinburgh, uh, didn't grow up with tuck shops or sweet shops in the UK, hadn't visited their British Isle in their local supermarket, which we have in <laughs> Canada, and there are tunnocks there, by the way. Yeah. We have tunnocks yeah. along with Cadbury's and a few other lemon sherbets, which is often... They're always a race when they come in. But the um, this reminds me almost of like a parallel life that uh, Alyssa's been living alongside our Hobnobs um, yes. team that's been running for many years on the podcast, isn't it? Yes. I'd just like to say to the people at Tunnocks, some podcasts can't be bought. We are not one of those podcasts. Um, you know, if you want to sponsor us with in Tunnocks, we let's start a conversation. I did, I did follow up. I did drop Alyssa a line and say, you know, have you heard from the Tunnocks people? And she says he hasn't, but I've reminded her to chase them up. So, you know, Alyssa, if you're listening to this, do let us know what they say. Uh, the, the, there is a, a serious point, which, and again, you talk about new writers starting out and asking questions. A very, very common question is, uh, oh, can I, can I write about real brands? Can I write about, you know, Coca-Cola or Tunnocks or uh, McVitie's Delicious McVitie's chocolate hobnobs. It's another brand I'm very keen on. Um, you know, can I write about those? Uh, I would guide you to episode 32 of the podcast where we spoke to a couple of entertainment lawyers who do a very, very thorough breakdown of what you can and can't do. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially you can, you know, it's uh, as long as you don't defame anyone, you're absolutely fine. But it's um, it's one of those things that adds serendipity to your story. It brings it to life. If you are writing about those you know, those people on the bus, the lives of ordinary people, then they will be having Tunnock's tea cakes and they will be, you know, doing those things that we all recognise. It brings it to life. I have just had an idea, Mark. I mean, we've been talking about McVitie's hobnobs on this show for many, many years. But we must say to people, just in case you do think we're actually sponsored by them because we go on about oh, it. Oh, I we're wish. Not, <laughs> we're, not, we're not sponsored by them. They are, they are kind of become, I guess you'd say, the unofficial sponsor. So what I'm going to do is um, we, now, we now have a competitor, Mark. We have Tunnocks, who, who might- Bidding war. Who, who might, well, this is what I'm thinking. This is the idea, right? So here's, here's the thing, folks. If you, if you work for Tunnocks or you work for McVitie's, or let's just start out there, any other- Colin the Caterpillar. Biscuit. Any yep. other biscuit out in the world? Because <laughs> writing biscuits are a very important part of a writer's life. We know that, right? Now, think about, think about, um, I'm a big football fan. Can't wait for the new season. Actually, it's already kicked off, hasn't it? Um, he says, uh, but the, there's, there's different things, right? There's, you get your sp shirt sponsors, right? Everyone has their shirt sponsors, but then you have the official beer of Liverpool Football Club or the official, um, I mean, they have everything now, don't they? They've got the official kind of like bank of. So Are you talking about the official biscuit of the bestseller experiment. Not just not just the official biscuit, Mark. The official writer's biscuit of oh. the bestseller experiment. And this is what this is what we could do because you know when when Jurgen Klopp or you know uh, Suarez or, or Salah gets in front of the camera for the press conference, they always have like a bottle of water or they have their Coke. Or whatever, which is like it's like on the Voice as well, and uh, not on the Voice. The uh, America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent. They've always they're drinking Starbucks or whatever. Well, look here, we are doing it on video. We're on YouTube now. We've got our book here, best back to reality, a little bit of product placement. We could have the official 
writer's biscuit product placement right there. And the challenge for us, Mark, would be that we're not allowed to finish the packet before the end of the recording of the podcast. Right? So I'm going to put it out there. Tunnocks versus McVitie's Hobnobs versus anyone else who's interested. This is, we're, we're actually, I'm being completely serious now. If you'd like to become the official sponsor of the Writer's Biscuit, the best-selling experiment, get in touch. And, uh, and of course, Mark, that would mean that we'd have to test the product before, you know, because we only take Probably. on... We only Thoroughly. we only promote things that we personally would use and eat ourselves. I, just, I am on a calorie controlled diet. I've lost <laughs> twenty one pounds worst. since March, so this is not a great. Okay, you know. <laughs> this is probably the, okay. So I'll tell you what. I'll do. I'll do the chocolate, the the calorie laden biscuit. Brave soldier, you and, and Mark and Mark. I'll take the grenade for you, Mark. In fact, I'll have twice just just to cover you. And what we'll also open out is the best, you know, low calorie or zero calorie writer's biscuit. As well, because there's a ton of those out there as well, non-sugar yeah. and all that. So, and then you could have those, Mark, and then we could compare Thanks. notes and <laughs> watch me grow, right over time, <laughs> widescreen. But um, I think that could be great, wouldn't it? Because it, it, there, there is something about we talked about, and, and joking aside, there is something about something nice about rewarding yourself after a hard writing yes. session with a biscuit, not not having the packet beside you as you're writing. That no. it, we don't recommend that. All, all things in not moderation. Good. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but something nice about having a little treat after you've finished writing, um, and that in our world might be a hobnob or something. But uh, yeah, so get in touch, folks. <laughs> if you know, and if you know anyone that works for these companies, send them this episode and say, "Oh, look, they're, they're, they're actually dead serious because we are." I think it'd be fun. Or any other product placement sponsorships. Let's see, see where this goes. Anything else to fund the running of the podcast is all good because that means we can bring you folks more and more of these episodes, which is great. So. Absolutely. Um, goodness me, I think we've uh, <laughs> we've just about done it there with the, with the biscuits, haven't we, Mark? You're listening to the Biscuit Podcast. <laughs> I don't think that exists. Is there a Biscuit Podcast? Oh, I'm sure. Look, there's podcasts about all sorts of crap it these is. days. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what some people are thinking listening to this right now. But anyway. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Well, thank you, folks, for sticking with us. And um, thank you to Alyssa for that amazing interview. I loved Wonderful it. enthusiasm. I hope this inspired you, folks. Um, and we've got more of these great interviews coming along um, over the next few weeks. So keep checking in with us. Uh, so Mark, social media. Social media and emails. So I had a lovely email from Darren James. Uh, you remember a few episodes ago, we were talking about imposter syndrome. And Darren just wanted to give us uh, their uh, take on this. Um, Darren has, uh, writes, and, and Darren, has, she said, I can, I can share this on the podcast. So she said, I, I've recently been diagnosed with ADHD, and these two things go hand in hand, ADHD and, and imposter syndrome. I, I've spent my life feeling like I haven't fulfilled my full potential in anything I've done, which is pretty normal for a neurodivergent person. Although self-publishing my book this year has become the first achievement in my 43 years that I can actually say I'm proud of. I've had a variety of careers, uh, one of which was stage management, theatre. There you go. Uh, Darren spent 14 years on and off working in theatre and had a constant feeling of not being particularly good at my job, despite being rehired by the same companies over and over. When I was praised for being organized and efficient, I couldn't understand or believe that they really thought about me as my brain is a mess most of the time. Another common symptom of ADHD is RSJ, which is rejection sensitive sensitive dysphoria, which piles on a fear of rejection at every turn, preventing me from chasing my dream, dreams, or even doing simple things like making a phone call or asking for something that would help me. 
And we're talking about asking for help. Right, yeah. Uh, This is a bit of a tangent on the topic, and neurodivergency comes in a plethora of shapes and forms. But I wanted to chip in my experience as I was listening to the podcast, not quite agreeing with your definition of imposter syndrome. And yes, we we take that on board, Darren. I guess it can be quite different for for neurotypical folk. Uh, Feel free to use this on the podcast if it's useful. Uh, Darren, thank you so much for that. We really, really appreciate you sharing that and allowing us to share that with the listeners. I think it is absolutely we do absolutely recognize that all of these things come on a spectrum. Everyone's uh, experiences are going to be different and individual. So, and we do really, really appreciate it when folk like Darren share their experiences and, and perspectives on, on stuff like this. So thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it's, it. It's, it's brilliant and very courageous of you. And I also think it's very, very important. Um, we always talk about, you know, how important it is to share your individual stories with other writers. And there may be some writers who listened to that and thought, oh, I wonder if that's what I've been dealing with all these years. Because I don't know about you, Mark, but I've been hearing, I actually had a, a really close friend of mine who's um, you know, just reaching retirement and just re- being diagnosed with with something. Um, and I think, as, you know, I... It's interesting because the way I look at it is that I don't think of it as a lot of people talk about it as an, you know, an illness or a, a but there's some absolutely incredible things that people can get from having, um, uh, you know, having ADHD or Asperger's or something like that. When it, but when it's undiagnosed, it's very, very difficult to um, sometimes understand what's going on. And it's sometimes a relief for people, as this person was telling me, it's a real relief for them to discover that they weren't crazy or they weren't strange or they weren't just scatty, mm-hmm. scatterbrained. It's because they actually had something uh, which could be diagnosed and therefore they could have some awareness around how to make the most of it in many ways. I mean, it, it can be a, it can be a real positive. So, you know, if, if that's where you're at as well. Um, and, and again, you know, we say to people out there when we, when we talk about things in a generalistic terms, obviously we, we can't cover every single person's personal experience of what, how they see things so we also recognize that everyone's completely unique and it's very important but um i think it's i think it's important for people to kind of go a bit deeper if they feel that they're really struggling beyond say the the average struggles that most people have i mean everyone has you know confidence issues and belief issues but when it becomes almost to a point of detrimental and not being able to move move beyond that then it can be really helpful to kind of get some advice on it Absolutely. So, folks, um, if you're if if you're happy with being brave enough and sharing this stuff with us, we would love to hear from you because I think uh, you know what Darren's done there is. I'm sure there are going to be people listening to this going, "Wow, that clicks with me. Something has just clicked into place." So, we are just two neurotypical guys, you and I, Mister D. I guess you know we we can't you know we we have our perspective. We'd love to hear yours. So do do Absolutely. drop us a line. Yeah, especially line. if you think it will help other people who listen to this podcast as well, because we're all about you know well-being and mental health as writers. It's a very important topic for us. We always know it gets some of the biggest um you know biscuits responses so again thank you so much um you know for, for being so brave and telling us your story absolutely brilliant um also on uh on twitter this time uh kate baker now you remember in a couple of episodes ago you said uh you you, you instructed listeners to pause the podcast and simply write the first line of a new novel because there's no time like the present well kate did it so she pulls the podcast she wrote the first line do you want to hear the first line i do 
when Agatha first met Vincent. He'd been eating tapas with his wife. There we go. First line. Wow. So, you know, I'm, dun, dun, I'm hungry dun. for more. I'm also hungry for tapas. <laughs> so, Kate, thank you very much for oh, anyone else well there. Done. Pause the yeah. podcast now, write that first line. S- send, send it, it in. Us. Yeah, send in your first line. That'd be great because, you know, every story starts with that first line and it's the thing that makes the book happen ultimately. So brilliant. Well done, Kate. Very proud Absolutely. of you for doing that. Excellent and, stuff. And last of all, uh, we've got a public declaration from Phil Oddy, who's been great on the 200 words a day challenge. So if you go to Twitter, look up hashtag 200 words a day, you'll find me on there and people like Phil and all sorts of other amazing people doing the 200 words a day. Um, Phil's got to the point where he's ready to make a public declaration. So he says this novel, which might be called Echoes or possibly Entanglement or maybe something else altogether, (laughs) whatever it's called, it will be with beta readers by 1st of January 2023. So that's in the diary, Phil. We're all rooting for you. Good luck with that. Away we go. Go for it, Phil. And if you want to send us your public declaration as well to be read out on the podcast and hold you to it accountable forever, um, send it to us. <laughs> you can either do it via the website. You've got a contact us button there on the website. If you just go to bestsellerexperiment.com, click on that, fill out that form. It comes to me and Mark and we read everyone and we always try to respond when we can. So do do send it out. And, but if, if you'd like us to read out anything on the show, that's the place to do it. Uh, and socials, Mark, where can people find us on, online? Yes, we're Bestseller Experiment on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We're at Bestseller XP. Uh, and yeah, fantastic. Drops a line. Uh, and also, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've been inspired by Alyssa or any of the other authors we've had on the show, give us a rating, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts from. They all count. They all help all make us more visible. They all help us get voices out there. And then subscribe. That also helps as well. So yeah, yeah. click all those lovely buttons. And you can also subscribe to us on YouTube as well if you want to check out Bestseller Experiment on YouTube and watch me and Mark do our thing uh, animated in 3D with all the disasters going on in the background. Um, pop along to YouTube and, and search for Bestseller Experiment. Also, folks, if you would like to get the writing habit of a lifetime, or at least just start on that journey, pop over to 200wordchallenge.com and sign up to our free challenge to write 200 words a day. We challenge you, every good folk out there, to try to write seven days straight 200 words. That would be nearly one and a half thousand words at the end of one week, which in anyone's writing book, especially Mr. Abramovich and others that we've loved on this show, that is a good old haul for a week. Uh, And it's also the beginning of the momentum build as well. And so come with us on this journey. It's worked for so many people. We've had millions and millions of words banked through the 200 Word Challenge now. It's been an incredible success. Uh, So do do join us, 200wordchallenge.com. And of course, I couldn't end this show without encouraging you all. If you've got to this part of the show, you have self-selected yourself for the Best Seller Academy. Come along <laughs> and join Mark and I. If you want a bit more of Mark and I, but go really deep with us on some incredible coaching on both craft and life coaching. Break through those barriers. Change your mindset as an author. Get Hone your craft. Chisel that craft. Become the best writer you can be. We do life coaching every two weeks in the Academy. Um, and we also we also have a ton of other stuff, 30 plus courses, writing buddies, beta readers. You get access to the BXP team, which is probably the best, I say unbiasedly and biasedly, the best writing group on the planet um, online on Facebook. So if that's your thing, you get access to that as well. Plus, plus, we don't really talk about this often, but the bestseller, ex- bestseller experiment app 
right? The app where you can basically download every single episode and every single deep dive that we've ever done. You get access to that and download it, take it with you wherever you want. No faffing about, no mess. Uh, It's a specific thing we've developed and designed here at the Bestseller Academy. So, you know, check out that. Plus all the other things, writing buddies, beta readers, dream declarations, the list goes on. Oh, and I should say celebrating your wins, which is what we do on the podcast, but man, in the Academy, you know, it's something that we really, really encourage people to do. And we always, always celebrate every success, whether it's big or small. So it sounds like your thing, academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. Go sign up now, get on the wait list and apply. And we look forward to seeing you in September. So Mr. Stay, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week, sir. Peter. Sure, sir. Yes, very good. Onwards, upwards. Onwards and upwards. And have a great writing week to everyone out there. Welcome if it's your first episode. Thank you if it's your nearly 400th. And it's a goodbye from Mark 1. <laughs> goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.